everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey everyone, I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Springtime has arrived and I've been trying to enjoy walks in the woods. Otherwise, I am teaching art classes remotely and wondering about the future, as I'm sure everyone else is in this uncertain times. For today, I am interviewing Valerie Estabrook, a multidisciplinary artist exploring culture and human experience through media and time-based installations. Valerie's work reveals hidden personal histories, allowing others to peer into a private, psychological space with the ultimate goal of outward connection and contributing to ongoing dialogues. She holds an MFA in painting from Brooklyn College and a BA in visual art from Brown University. Valerie is currently a professor of experimental sound and technology at the University of New Mexico. Our conversation occurred this past January up in rural Vermont where we discuss growing up on an Asian pear farm, thinking about needing momentum, and processing videos in both installations and on the screen. I enjoy chatting with Valerie immensely, and I hope you do as well. I mean, even this babbling brook, right? Like it, Babbling brook, I like that. <laughs> I mean, it's the Gihon River, but right, Gihon? Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, that sound constantly in the background is the same as like the... Yeah, you know, noise sound machine that you would buy yeah, yeah. <laughs> to put artificially in your life. Do you have that? Do you have that to sleep? I do. You do. I do. What sound yeah. do you put on? Um, it's sometimes it's either water sounds. Like sometimes we'll change it up to a rain sound or a wave sound. Yeah, I think those are the most. But the to be honest, like the wave sound can be distracting because it's like a super realistic noise machine. So it's not oh, just so, a loop. So the, oh, oh, so like it's not consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually like very high tech. And so it somehow has an algorithm to like mix up the mm, sounds mm-hmm. and, and they'll have not just the sound of waves, but it's like the whole beach sound. So you'll have like seagulls calling like, mm. <laughs> you can be very distracting or, or sometimes even like ships in the background, like, burr, burr. and I don't know, that kind of actually like will wake me up. So mm. I think the rain is pretty safe mm. or babbling brook like this. Mm. I've never used them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, why don't you start off with where you're born? This seems even more important for you since your work deals with that and mm-hmm. your, your background. Yeah. So well, I was born in the United States in Florida, but my family wasn't actually living in Florida. So I didn't really spend any time in Florida, but that's my birthplace. But I was raised in Virginia. So that's the place where I consider home when I think of home. Um, Richmond? Uh, actually two and a half hours west okay. of Richmond. So pretty rural area. It's about 30 ish minutes from West Virginia. So okay. Shenandoah Valley. Yeah, yeah. And I grew up on a farm, actually an Asian pear orchard. My parents, a what? Uh, an Asian pear orchard. That's what they made on the farm? Yeah, they, that's what they, they grow. They, oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. So um, my mom is a 
master self-taught horticulturalist. She propagates pear trees and she makes new varieties of Asian pears. Are the Asian pears the huge ones that, that usually that you see in the Korean markets? Yeah, okay. yeah. So there's actually lots of different varieties and there are Chinese Chinese pears, Japanese pears, and also Asian pears, you know, at least on our farm, there's, you know, East Asian pears, but they have slightly different qualities. Like I can, once you get to be around them for a long time, you can kind of guess which ones are, which varieties are which, you know, my mom knows instantly from even just looking at leaves, like which trees are which and what does, you know. She's self-taught. And she's all self-taught. Yeah. I mean, it's just from her being around them for every single day for 30 years. Were her parents also? Um, no, oh. no, not at all. Now, my dad, who is white, actually was just obsessed with Asian pears. And so <laughs> he just started this hobby orchard that grew like just, <laughs> it got out of control. And once he hit the 400 tree mark, it was like maybe. So they both worked together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little crazy. <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, I. I feel like I, I'm really proud of my parents and, you know, the farm that they were able to do. It's a lot of work. And I think that growing up on that farm in particular really made, you know, made me who I am in many ways. How's that? Well, you're, I was in the countryside. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of neighbors and Certainly, no kids to just go outside and play with. Right. Um, you have to be you, you kind of had to create your own world. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I have an older brother, but he's he's not like so much older than me. He's six years older than me, but it's enough that we were never in the same school system. You know, yeah. like he was always one school away, like yeah. when middle school, high school, or college, high school. And so, I did spend a lot of time by myself and for both of us, he's also an artist. Like we, we talk about this and about how being in that environment, we definitely had to learn how to not just entertain ourselves, but I think that, you know, you, it lets your mind just be a little bit more expansive and creative. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, it's also like a really weird place to be, you know, it's like a really unique situation, like being in this uh, specialty farm or however you want to call it, you know, and, so it's not just a, a farm where, you know, there's a lot of hard work. So there, you know, obviously there's a really strong work ethic that I observed and I think I bring into my practice, but also, you know, the uniqueness about the, you know, right. about the crop, you know, like that it was just such a special fruit, mm. you know, and then this idea of my mom, you know, she propagates new varieties, as I mentioned, and, and it's a really long process but it's also a very delicate process mm. too, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I think that it definitely made an impression and probably is a, a large part why I am an artist and why I make the kind of work that I do somehow, yeah. you know, I know it's in there somehow. Yeah. 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 And then, so were you making art while you were in high school? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that I have been, I mean, I've been drawing for as long as I can remember, Right. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of people do, you know, you get crayons and you're just drawing, but I, I think I was lucky to be around people who encouraged my talents and your parents encouraged it. My parents encouraged me doing well in school. Okay. So as long as you do well in school, you could kind of do the art. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as I kept my grades up, I could do whatever club and they, you know, my, on my mom's side, my grandfather is actually, well, was, was a painter. 
So there's definitely artistic, visual artistic talent that runs in that side of the family. I mean, my, uh, one of my uncles, um, my mom's brothers is an amazing artist. I mean, I remember growing up seeing a graphite pencil drawing of my father that was almost photographic Mm -hmm. and it was something that my uncle had done. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. And, and my mom you know, she always says that she's not a drawer or a painter, but she, I mean, I started drawing because of her, because I would see her draw and she, she would just doodle. She doodles all Mm -hmm. the time. Like Mm -hmm. she doodles when she's on the phone, she's doodling like, and I would always find her drawings like on the newspaper. Like (laughs) she just draws over the words. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they're just like little cartoony kind of things, but she has her own style. Like it's definitely her hand. And, and I remember just thinking that just the movement, it's such a effortless movement, you know, uh, was so beautiful. And that's something that I was always trying to replicate was like my mother's drawings, you know. Um, she grew up in Korea or? She-, she grew up in Korea. Yeah. So she came to the United States after my brother was born. My brother was actually born in Korea. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and my family kind of lived internationally before I kind of, before I came around. So your, your, your parents met in Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. My parents met in Korea. What was your dad doing in Korea? So his past life was before the orchard was that he was an engineer. <laughs> okay. And so he worked for, you know, some, some big company and they'd basically send him to a different country every few years, every two to three years to kind of oversee a big construction thing you know he would be the on-site guy to make sure everybody was doing things and basically the represent like the you know the main engineer representative I think for the local team to kind of talk to and my mom was working at the time as a typist Um, she was like one of the few people who could like kind of read and write English a little bit Mm -hmm. and so they hired her and so they were kind of in the same job area yeah. site. Yeah. 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 But the real story. Uh, what? what? <laughs> the real story. Like that, that's all real. That's all true. But they actually kind of clicked because my mom at night was a lounge singer <laughs> and she would sing uh-huh. and all these, uh, all the men in the company would come listen to her sing. And apparently she ignored everybody except for my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said that there was something about him, and so you know, it's a sweet story for me to think about. You know, and that's I, where you—that's who you got your voice from. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. My mom, definitely my mom, yeah. not my dad. <laughs> yeah. And did you grow up learning Korean, or are you? No, no. My uh, my mom and my dad were so worried about assimilation. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, uh-huh. and I—I I think that this is a common thing, uh, especially you know among immigrants, but also Asian immigrants, like they just don't want their children to have accents. Like they, you want them to be like, you know, Mm -hmm. real Real Americans. Americans, And so they didn't speak Korean in our house. Mm. Yeah. Your dad's also, does he know Korean? He, he knew a little bit of Korean. Uh, He definitely was taking classes when he was in Korean. I found some bilingual letters when I was going no. through things. It was very, very cute. Did was, you try translating? Them? Oh, I already know. Oh, I, mean, oh, like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I did, I've studied Korean in, in college when I was undergraduate. Oh, so I have some, some language skills. I just have terrible pronunciation yeah. and it doesn't come 
easily. Naturally, yeah. Yeah, I have yeah. to think about yeah. everything. I have to translate it in my head and then I can say it. Yeah. And my vocabulary is very, very small. But yeah, you know, and, and I know that my dad uh, was really trying to remember, re-remember the Korean that he had, you know, had studied at some point. But when I was a child and when I was, you know, growing up, it wasn't in the house, you know. Yeah. So, you know, but that's just the way it is. And, you know, when I left and had the opportunity to actually take a Korean class, I was like, well, this is really important to me. You know, it's it's actually most important to me. Obviously, it would be nice to be able to visit Korea and be fluent and be able to converse with strangers there and function, you know. But for me, it's always been this really personal thing of like how... We express ourselves so differently in our native languages, yeah. you know, and this knowledge intellectually knowing that my mother, you know, is speaking to me, her daughter in English, you know, her second language. And I've always wanted to let to be, I, I wish and I hope, I hope someday I can give the gift of like allowing my mom to be able to talk to me in her native yeah. language, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because she is a different, I mean, I, I obviously observe her like when she's around her friends yeah. or my, my other family and she's a different person, yeah, you know, yeah. like her, I think her real person and personality comes out. And I just want to, I would love to be able to let her do that and know that um, I can understand her, you know, yeah. like fully without having to be like, wait, what's that word? Wait, what's that word? <laughs> yeah. 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 I say this all the time. It takes like a lifetime to learn a language. Mm. And I feel like even, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm still learning the English language, Mm. you know, like learning how to read different types of ways, speak in different types of ways, Mm -hmm. speak in different contexts. Mm. I think like I just gave like my first talk, you know, in Maine Mm -hmm. as a visiting artist at a college. And I was like thinking like, wow, like I can kind of basically speak without too much preparation for an entire hour about my work, mm-hmm. right? And, like, that vocabulary wasn't there. Even two years ago, like, every a lot of things I said were, like, based on, like, these continual things I'm learning about mm-hmm. each year. Wow, yeah. I mean, I think that it has a lot to do with your environment, right? Yeah. You know? And, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've always wanted to be in Korea and live. I always think I've only been there twice in my life. It's the difference from being, oh, I can take a trip for a week versus I can be there for six months or a year. You know, like that takes a lot more, I think, planning and figuring out, you know, what am I going to do with my stuff? Yeah. (laughs) Well, am I going to get my art over there? How am I going to get back? Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's probably the easiest part. But but, um, no, the other logistics is hard. I mean, I didn't I didn't go to China up until now because of the same reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't think I would. Mm -hmm. I had no idea, actually. (laughs) So did you grow up um, here? I grew up here, yeah. Yeah. I mean, similar to you, I was born in California, but Mm -hmm. my parents immediately moved away. So Mm -hmm. I have no relationship to specifically Long Beach. Mm -hmm. I now sort of have a relationship because I moved back later in my life, but grew up in New York, then New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 yeah, where we end up, it's like, yeah. And I also think about what you said, how you had the chance to like learn Korean. And I didn't even try learning Chinese when I was in college. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like it. So you I, just I, I, I mean, do you um do you speak it with your family? Well, my mom and dad speak Cantonese mm-hmm. and when I was first born I I grew up with Cantonese, but mm-hmm. then as soon as I went to preschool I started speaking English and then once my brother and sister were born and they started going to school, 
my brother, my sister, and I started speaking in English among ourselves. Mm. So at that point, that kind of that's what created the entire shift. So my parent, it became like an English speaking household. My parents are still speaking Cantonese among themselves sometimes, or they'll do a mixture. Mm-hmm. So I'm used to like listening, and the the grammar makes sense to me. Like mm-hmm. I understand how the words are placed. I just don't really have the vocabulary, oftentimes. But mm. me learning Mandarin right now is going a lot easier than me learning German. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, it's you know I think it's interesting, like the how uh, you describe the language in your household, you know, yeah. with your siblings and your parents, because the the fear that you know immigrant parents are not going to have American children, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, it's going to happen. Like, yeah. no matter what, <laughs> no matter what, yeah. like even if you do or don't try to speak English in your house, it's like, you're going to have American kids if you're living in America, yeah. you know, yeah. the kids are going to, you know, the, I mean, kids pick up languages so easily and so quickly, you know? And now Uh-oh. there's a push for the opposite, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I've heard that. And I mean, it's encouraging. I think it's nice that there's options for, you know, there's more dual language schools, public schools that I see, you know, yeah. existing and more dual or even tri language programs yeah, for preschoolers. Yeah. I mean, I think that's good, but I still think that like the only way it sticks is if they've got someone to actually talk to, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's a difference between language and just like a word yeah, and an object. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, where'd you, what did you study in college? Uh, my concentration was visual art. So, you know, I always knew that I wanted to do something visual, something creative. You know, I don't know if I truly thought I would, I didn't know what it meant to be an artist. No one does. In undergrad. <laughs> still trying sometimes, to figure that out. Sometimes I still don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I'm still like, what am I doing? Just a bunch of smoke and mirrors <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. Am I a complete fraud? I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. People yeah. say that it's okay. I don't know. <laughs> I someday. I've convinced enough people, so I guess I'm legitimate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was really interested. I mean, I've... Um, I mentioned, you know, I've always, always been drawing. So, you know, that's the first thing I always did. And I still draw, although I don't use my hands that often for rendering images, but it's the thing that I was like, quote, trained on. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of drawing, a lot of sketching leading up to college. And so my portfolio, if, if you could call it, that was just lots of drawings, lots of, you know, very classical looking drawings. Still lives, flowers, um, right, right, uh, portraits, co- cones, yeah, and cylinders. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a really good sphere. Okay, <laughs> my sphere was so awesome; yeah. it was perfect. It had like the under, the underglow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, had a nice sheet yeah. <laughs> image. Yeah, um, but I was always really interested in three-dimensional things. Mm-hmm. Like for a very long time, I thought maybe I wanted to be a sculptor, but I still didn't know where that fit into life. Like for me, sculptor meant like, like, you know, marble. Yeah. Michelangelo, stone yeah. And, yeah. and so I, 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 you know, did that for a year, like stone carving and I really loved it. But it, as soon as I stopped taking classes, I was, I felt lost. Like, I don't know where to begin because I don't know where to get stone and I yeah. don't know like where to get this mnemonic tool. I yeah. can't afford it, you know, yeah. if I'm not taking the class. So that kind of fell off, but I took stone carving. Actually, I spent some time abroad in Florence. And so, uh-huh. um, I did a little bit of like, 
what is it like limestone carving here in the States, but like marble I did over there, which is, I still love it. Like I, it's hard to not fall in love with marble, uh, marble in Florence. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I remember when I saw David, I was like, I was like, Oh, maybe it's just overrated, overblown. But then you go there and you, you know, you turn that corner Mm -hmm. and then you just see like all the way at the very end of the hall is like the light shining directly on the sculpture. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's just, so many, I mean, marble in particular, the idea of creating, you know, objects that feel so ethereal and light, like the the drapery, like that's the thing that gets to me when I see marble sculpture and mm. it's drapery. Yeah. And it looks like drapery. Yeah. yeah. It like blows my mind. It has a certain, light, <laughs> it has a certain like lightness to yeah. it and an object that's so heavy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also just knowing that material, you know, it's, it's brittle, yeah. you know, I mean like marble, you've got to be you've got to work with it. You've kind of have to know how to, you know, you just can't whack at it. It's going to crumble if you do that. You know? So this idea of like, um, I had a great teacher, you know, at the time and he, he said, you know, you have to think of when you're hitting the stone with a chisel, you have to think of like sending a lightning bolt in that direction. Mm. And like, that's a plane and you've, and you've cut it, but you just can't see it. And then you, you make another hit from another angle and you're making, you're sending another lightning bolt through. And so it's cutting another thing. And eventually when there's enough intersecting lines, like that's when the stone will break. And so he's like, you've got to think of it like that. And so, you know, I always kind of think of that, like shooting it through, <laughs> but, yeah. but after all that, <laughs> I started getting really interested in film and then I thought, well, maybe I want to be a filmmaker because I really love, I love film. I love movies. And yeah, so I started like, I, I picked up a camcorder and just started like videotaping every moment of my still life. In college. It's still in college. Okay. Yeah. Like toward the end, you know, and I would be that annoying person at parties who for some reason is just like filming, filming everyone for no reason. Yeah. Like I and I don't think I ever even did anything with that kind of footage, but I just was so fascinated with like capturing, yeah, yeah. capturing time, and I think that's when I really started to kind of change into like what you could consider like your own style or your own aesthetic, right? Like yeah. that was kind of like the beginnings of it, and I realized that I liked like really weird time-based things, <laughs> and yeah, and so I was like starting to fool around with like video feedback, mm-hmm. you know, or like. I was videotaping the TV and uh, because this was before you could just download media and chop it up. Oh, yeah. And so like the only way I could capture other media was to like videotape it it or catch it on a on a VCR and then digitize it. And then I started, you know, doing that and kind of like putting things together and making videos from found footage. And then, you know, that kind of grew into exploring with performance. Yeah. And then. You know, I went through a long period where I didn't do art after school. I actually worked commercially in TV and video for about 10 years. Really? Yeah. Where were you? New York? In New York. Yeah. And, you know, when I got out of school, it felt like it was the easiest marketable skill. And it was something I was really excited about. So I did it. And it was really exciting. I loved doing it. But at a certain point, I realized that, you know, I wasn't working on my own projects And even when I would, you know, be working on a project for an exciting, I don't know, music video or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, show, commercial, I don't know, an exciting brand. (laughs) It's still, at the end of the day, didn't feel like something that 
satisfied. Didn't it didn't come from you. Right, right. right. And I think that's and it's not yours. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that I don't know. How do you feel? Like, is it like as an artist? I mean, you know, from your perspective, like I feel like this. Um, I think it's an ego. It's totally an <laughs> ego thing. No, I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, I would. I mean, that's why so many artists are assholes once once they're famous because it. Their true self is one of the world revolving revolving around them. Yeah, yeah. But we can like we can be nice assholes, right? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I like trying to be nice. I to no, be. I know. <laughs> social work. <laughs> yeah, social. Yeah. No, but I do think. No, I agree. It is definitely ego. I mean, it's wanting to like assert yourself. I think that there's this. I don't know if it's um, only you know artist or. I mean, is, is ego like a human thing? Like does everybody, everybody has some glimmer of an ego, right? Yeah. In some ways. I would some say that I feel like the artists, they feel it's so important for their ego to maintain a certain type of individuality that they're mm-hmm. willing to go oftentimes the harder route. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see what you're saying. Although I feel like when you're talking about like dedication, right? Dedication to work and what you're willing to suffer through, like often I feel like the work that I'm making, it's like, I will definitely suffer, like you suffer in my studio, yeah. right? Like, you know, I think we all have. Oh yeah, my wrists are all fucked up from <laughs> being in front of the computer so much. Right, right. But I do feel like it somehow like feels like, um, I mean, I don't want to say it's like a compulsion. It feels like it's like in service though, in service to the object, yeah. which I... For when I was younger, I was so, I felt very personal about my work. Like my work is me and uh, whatever. You don't think so anymore? No, I really? don't. No, not no. at, I mean, like, I, I think that it comes from me. Yeah. It comes from me. Uh, that's without question. That's obvious, especially, you know, so much of my work has to do about yeah. identity and personal experience. And so obviously it, it is born of me, but I feel like once it's there outside of me, like I, it's, it's not really me, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's still an object it's still a or a media or whatever it still exists it's not actually my personhood so for me I feel like I'm trying to give life or creation to this thing that will have its life yeah yeah it's like like a child like Uh, like, I don't I feel like for me (laughs) because my videos are so personal I feel like they're so part of me oh and I feel like I mean I, I mean I still feel like also like if I am not there nurturing it or existing and i feel like that my works keep speaking to themselves mm-hmm. that if it's not there it would fall apart hmm. Hmm. that's just my how i feel it yeah i don't know hmm. yeah yeah i mean i do I, I think that while i'm still working on things i can still feel very personal but it, there's always this knowledge that's going to be separate from me yeah. you know and so i'm trying to like give it the best shot yeah. it's got. <laughs> yeah. It's your babies. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to live outside of me at some point in time and be yeah. on their own. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. yeah. So. So after 10 years in New York. After you- 10 years in New York, I got tired of working for crappy marketing agency kind of stuff. Um, went commercial stuff. School? Went to grad school. Entered as a painter. It's no. So yeah. Yeah. Entered as a painter. Where'd you go? Brooklyn College. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, leading up to grad school, I started painting in my, I, I started painting again. You know, I was, I realized I really missed. Um, Your paintings are so well rendered. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thank you very much. I, I don't consider myself 
a good painter. <laughs> I know. It's funny. I feel like most, I know what you mean. Like, I think most people who don't do painting would be、mm-hmm. like, oh, those are so like beautiful. And、mm-hmm. like, you can tell. I mean, your kinds of paintings also, like in particular, the styles, like one where you can see the labor that goes、mm-hmm. into it. I mean, I won't speak for you, but for me, like, I know how to do those kind of paintings, but、mm-hmm. to me, those are not what's interesting right, as right. a painting.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, it comes down to an effort issue. Like, I have to put a lot of effort into my paintings in order、mm. to get them to look the way I want them to look.、Yeah. And I realize that tells me that I'm not a master painter, <laughs> you know, that I'm still. I don't know. Like you said, like I think that maybe to someone who's not really in the world of painting, I don't know. Like I definitely get compliments from people and it, it's, it's validating. It feels good. But when I think about people who I really truly think are amazing painters, it's like they are able to, the physical aspect is something that they just know,、yeah. you know, and that allows them to think about the concept. Or the conceptual things, right? That, and also that the, craft, the craft right, of it, right? right? I think of like typographers and how they're like really into kerning of the、mm-hmm, letters,、mm-hmm. you know? And like I, I did web design, so like I could technically like do basic typography, and、mm. but like my interest in kerning isn't that of a typographer. <laughs> so, like, obviously, a typographer, I feel like. Whether you like their style or not, their, their knowledge of it and、right. how they can navigate that, I feel like is similar to painters and,、mm-hmm. you know, the paint medium that they're using, the、mm-hmm. flatness or non flatness、mm-hmm. of, the, of the surface, the kind of surface,、mm-hmm. the, you know, masonite versus linen versus、mm-hmm. cotton versus certain types of gesso. Absolutely. And like all the small things they really care about.、Mm-hmm. And I think the really good ones are cognizant of it in some,、yeah. some form of way. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I just.、Uh, I always think that maybe at some point later in life, when I have more time, maybe I'll have, maybe I'll. Or like, when you're famous and you need to like sell things, you'll, you'll hire someone <laughs> to make paintings under Valerie Esterroke to, yeah, get, yeah. to fund everything else. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it's,、um, yeah, it just, I, there's painting is such a huge world. It's、yeah. so, it's so big. It's so, it's so big and yet it can be so small. It's very intimidating. And, and historically, it's so yeah, weighted. So weighty. So weighty. But, um, Yeah, you know, it's it's not off the table, but just think that, yeah, I get I get really impatient. And so I realized that, you know, I was working in video for so long. Like, it, that's that's the thing that comes easy to me. Like, video is just like, you know, I don't I don't really have to think too hard about the technical things that a lot of people get caught up on. Yeah, what, yeah I'm curious. What is your process for video? Um, It's, I have a, a couple different processes, I suppose. The first is that I just like shoot video like all the time, you know? Have you been shooting a lot here? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, And so, like, mostly this river.、Okay. It's so pretty. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I live in the desert. So we have a river, but it's not like this.、Yeah. It doesn't snow. I mean, it does snow, but it doesn't stay. Yeah. So, Yeah, I mean, nature. I, I definitely am constantly shooting things in nature. I shoot just things like on, on my phone, like especially ever since phones have had cameras that are good enough to、yeah. shoot. That's and you don't even need it that good. Yeah, yeah. Did you know, like, the, I think the last, the Turner Prize two years ago, the winner、mm-hmm. was the video was shot on an iPhone. Yeah. Not even like a good iPhone. <laughs> 
like an iPhone five. <laughs> yeah, it was like, like you could see the grain, like the yeah. new, like the, the iPhone elevens. Those, those are really good. But mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, you could tell the grains were there and it was fine. It's just like a story, and yeah. the shots were simple and composed well. And right, right. I mean, and just that, and and for me, a, a lot of that video doesn't turn into direct artwork Mm -hmm. right but it is the way I think I process the world Mm. in many ways like I I am kind of constantly cropping and framing and not only that but again the time element right capturing this thing this movement right so the change over the frames over time and so that's the thing that I'm really always just amazed by it's like and it sounds so silly, but it's like, I'm really, truly in awe of the things going around me. And so I just want to capture them. And sometimes they're like funny. Like sometimes it's, I'll be waiting in traffic and those, um, car wash guys, you know, that have uh, like those floppy, uh, yeah. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like sometimes something like that will be happening. And I'm just like sitting there for so long that I like take my camera out and I just am filming yeah. that. And how do you organize all these? You know, again, like that that part doesn't necessarily come into a finished artwork all the time, but I think that it helps me, oh, it just helps me parse the world in a way, okay. like helps me organize. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. kind of sketching, basically. Yes, yes. Yeah. Visual, visual sketching diary sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then when I come to the video aspect of like my actual, like in the studio, a lot of it come, starts with found footage. Like I'm really interested in what people are talking or what already exists in the world. So a lot of times I will download like hundreds of clips. Really? Yeah. Like literally hundreds of clips. And this is where it gets very disorganized. Like literally Um, like, yeah, I can't imagine (laughs) like like two, 300 clips from YouTube or wherever, or I'll screen grab, I'll screen grab. Right. And, and I just start like chopping it up. You know, I, I listen, my, my, job when I was working commercially was as an editor. And so I was often tasked with making people say things that they weren't actually saying, you know, a client would be like, uh, we, we like what they're saying, but they don't really sound great here. Like take this part out and take out their flub and, you know, take out this breath or where they cough, you know, like I'm, I'm, excuse me, I'm used to editing people's speech. Mm. And I'm also really interested in narrative and being able to create stories, you know, loose stories, loose narratives based on those different bits of other people's words. So often I will create a narrative in some ways, like a loose narrative arc out of found footage based on other people's quote sound bites, you know, their words. And this again, is an organizational process. So it's a lot about me trying to figure out what is that idea that I'm actually getting at? What is this thing mm-hmm. that I want to say that other people are already saying? Because mm-hmm. I I also have this, I don't know if it's a belief, but a feeling that what I'm thinking is not that unique. <laughs> like it's, a good way, it's a good way to think. <laughs> it's like, if I had a thought, probably someone else has had that thought. Yeah, It's just out there, you know? And and so I'm just trying to extract it, just trying to extract it and and distill it in some way so that I don't know other people can experience it and I don't try to make it a little bit more real and less just I don't know maybe floating in the back of your mind it's interesting the way you're describing it because when I was watching your videos it seemed like very planned right (laughs) like I'm thinking about your how-to videos Mm -hmm. right I mean I guess I can see you like watching a bunch of how-to videos Mm -hmm. but like that seemed like okay like 
I'm gonna go now after being inspired by how to video. I'm just gonna like go and make my own weird how to video and then have it deviate.、Mm-hmm. Or I was thinking even like the the one with your hands. Yeah, my hands my are hands medicine. My hands are medicine. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it seemed like compared to mine, where like when I look at mine, I don't shoot in the studio a lot,、mm. and so like when I, maybe I just associate studio work with like plan more、yeah. of a, at least more of a plan. Yeah, well, you know what ends up happening is that I get this, you know, this timeline right that. Are other people's words or other people's thoughts, and then I make the plan for the、mm. studio, and that is actually quite quite planned. So once I get to that stage, then I know exactly what do I want to shoot that will express these things. What it and that's and I actually do become extremely planned at that point. So、yeah. the collection is sort of like <laughs> the underpainting. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I I used to rely more on found footage for those sound for those sound elements. But more and more, I really use my own footage, and but I still kind of go through that process of looking and seeing what else is out there, what other people have done. I I, I also consider it a process of research. You know, I mean, I like when I did the how-to video. I mean, I was watching like hundreds、yeah. of how-to videos just because I was like really interested in the structure of them. You know, and there's a certain amount of. Personality, you know, it's when people are looking up for these how-to videos. Sometimes it's like I just want a straight "tell me how to do it" video, but then there are definitely people who are showing how-to videos that it's more about the person on the screen. Yeah, right. Of course, so, yeah. It's like the YouTube personality, whatever. And so I'm just really fascinated with that culture of we're showing some information. But the reality is that it's someone wants to be on screen. <laughs> like、yeah. someone just wants to be famous. But like, oh, I also know how to, you know, show you this smoky eye tutorial or whatever. It's um, I don't know. It's funny. It's really funny to me. It's fascinating. It's like a study in human behavior. Would、know. you do an unpacking video? Oh yes, I feel, I feel, absolutely. I feel like I feel like that's that fits right with what you're interested in. Yeah, I would definitely doing like an unboxing video. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, <laughs> without a doubt.、Uh, you just waiting. Gr- you just、yeah. waiting, or or you?、Uh, no, I mean I haven't thought of it, but、uh, that's uh, a great、uh. idea. You know, you could unpack your mask, you unpack or whatever. I mean, you could、yeah. unpack anything, and then you could like. Yeah, that's a good idea. I、uh, should. Yeah, I mean the next the next video that I want to do before I leave is a mukbang video. What's a mukbang? It's like when people get like a bunch of food and they just eat it on camera. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. And like a lot of times, it's a specific kind of food, so they're like it's like one thing, and they're gonna eat a bunch, or、yeah. it's like one thing. Like I've seen a lot of like mukbang videos for、um, like really spicy foods、yeah. or like really spicy ramen. Like、yeah. I got the hottest ramen, and now I'm gonna、yeah. eat it on camera, and it's like, and then they're crying. They're like, "Oh my god, it's so hot!" <laughs> I don't know if it's that hot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's like I don't know. Like I, I, I kind of understand the YouTube phenomenon trends that I. Can understand, but the mukbang thing. You don't、uh, understand. I don't. I really have to actually force myself to watch them. I have no desire to watch them. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, I find myself being like caught up in things and be like, I get it, I get it. Like the ASMR thing. I'm like, I get it. I watch these. I watch so many ASMR、really? videos. So many, but mukbang videos and mukbang and ASMR. There's an overlap. Like some people, because、yeah. the sounds of eating is also like I、ASMR. assume like unboxing too. Yeah, similar. Yes, yeah. That's how I know them. They people will like tap the boxes. Yeah,、like, oh. yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's definitely overlap, but but sometimes I just feel like they're 
They're like almost too ridiculous even for me. Yeah. But yeah, but that's why I want to like do one. So sorry, going back, but mm-hmm. so in grad school you did painting you or you just applied as painting you just did video yeah I applied as painting and ended up, ended up doing like pretty much all video oh, okay I mean I painted for like the first semester is that, is that what's on your website those no paintings? no those are actually pre-grad school okay yeah but yeah so I painted for like the first uh semester and then took a video class with Jen McCoy and basically completely forgot about painting that's good <laughs> and then just jumped right back into paint uh, into video and I was like oh I I don't know I when I was working in video I really didn't want to s- sit in front of a, t- a computer and do it you know for my artwork but then having that distance once I left the kind of commercial world went back to school I realized I really missed yeah. video a lot and I think that enough space at time and space had passed that yeah just uh I kind of jumped in and I I've just been doing that. And I mean, I still love working with my hands, which is why I do the installation aspect. Right. Yeah. So making, you know, things that are considered soft sculpture. I don't consider myself a soft sculptureist, <laughs> sculptor. Yeah. I, it's just more that most recently I find fabric and thread and soft things that aren't breakable. <laughs> I, I think that they are more interesting materials to me right now. Like I think that I like that we have um, a relationship in our like functioning daily lives with textiles, like that we are sitting on upholstered furniture, that we wear clothes, you know? So that's something that I find really appealing that everybody has a relationship to fabric. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that I've been exploring for the past four-ish years. It's it's been pretty recent. So, yeah. How, How was the reception of your work in grad school? Um, I went over pretty well. I mean, I mean, I, I was really in a very supportive community. You know, I think that every, like most people that I know in my program, we all had pretty, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but like, I mean, I had a very positive That's experience yeah. and I'm really grateful for my Brooklyn college community. Now, I think that the people that I met in, in that program, during that program and through that program have been so amazing to helping me be an actual artist now today. Like I would not be able to be doing what I am today if it wasn't for the generosity and love and support from those people, you know, and I think it's a very reciprocal, like, you know, that everybody just wants to, I mean, it's so exciting to like meet people that you, that are making work that is awesome. Right. Yeah. Like that you genuinely truly adore and respect and you're like, I, you know, like sometimes people talk when you talk about like, you know, artists and egos and everything. And and I definitely agree with that. But I do think that it's important for, you know, to just be around people that humble you, you know, and that you like there's no there's no real place, I think, for competition or jealousy or any of that. Like, I think that when you're really around people that you really respect it it's impossible to feel those things like that falls away, you mm. know? And it's really just about like, I will help you get what you deserve because you deserve it. And I yeah. believe in your artwork. And so I feel like there's, I'm around, I'm really lucky to know people like that, that I'm yeah. just constantly trying, like, I want them, I want to see like them get everything in the world yeah. because they deserve it. Yeah, and yeah. they're like awesome people, yeah. you know? So that's yeah. how I, um, 
I was more asking like, how's your work received in the sense that like, who's your, who do you think your audience is? <laughs> Actually completely misunderstood my question. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I ask cause I, I asked this of myself, which is yeah. like, who am I talking to? Yeah. It's such a specific thread of history. Yeah. One that is both can be exoticized and simplified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, all great questions. I mean, yeah, like you said, I, it's something that I asked myself. I mean, I can only tell you from what I've observed from how people react to my work when I do present it in public is definitely, I think that other Asian Americans or Asians in America, other women, also just people who don't have like a, an Asian family background. I, I think that some of the things that I talk about have resonated. People have told me it resonate with them, like people who immigrate here or their families immigrated here. Maybe they don't haven't felt like they, they fit into what is this American vision of what that culture is, which is so white centric, right? Mm-hmm. Like America is so white centric. I mean, what we, who we see on like the representation of who we see on TV. I mean, like it's getting a little bit better for sure. Of mm. course it's much better yeah. than what it was yeah. when we were kids, but I mean, for, you know, like people say like, oh, when you see a poster, there's got to be now like a person of every kind of like color or background. Well, that's oftentimes I'll see just like maybe one or two people of color and like on a poster, you always see white people on posters. You know, that's what I'm just saying. It's not like, like, like we live in a society that's still white dominated. Right. And that's, I mean, that's just, I mean, I I don't know, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I feel about that, you know, like Sometimes it doesn't affect what I do during the day. And then sometimes I'm like really jarred out of like my, my, uh, my, I don't know, my train of thought. Cause I'm like slapped in the face with yeah. <laughs> racism yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, all right, <laughs> that thing that yeah. I like happily forgot about yesterday. And now it's back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it rears his ugly head. Yeah. 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 yeah so, you know, th- th- those are the, just again, from when I'm actually present at the shows, when I actually present and the, and people come up and tell me it's, you know, a lot of people of color, people whose families actually moved here from somewhere else who are still feeling like that perpetual foreigner feeling or feeling like they've never truly been accepted as American, but they feel American. But the fact that they're told they're not American makes them feel like something's wrong. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, where does it get shown? It's my work has been shown in gallery settings, like for sure, you know, galleries here and there. It's been a lot. I think academic places seem to seem to like my work. (laughs) So I've shown um, one of the installations, Hometown Hero Chank, is uh, kind of like my largest immersive, like self-contained installation. And that's been shown at two university settings and it's going to University of Michigan. You want to describe Um, the piece a little? Sure. Yeah. So it is, um, it's a room and everything in the room is upholstered in soft chenille fabric. Your voice suddenly became an ASMR (laughs) voice when you're describing your work. But yeah, go on. (laughs) Okay. So here we go. No. um, And it's a piece that's about my growing up in small rural town in Virginia, specifically Lexington, Virginia, and that 
place is where the two top generals of the Confederate Army are from and buried. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like a Robert, mecca. Robert, for Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee and yeah. Stonewall Jackson are both buried in that town. Okay. Stonewall Jackson is from my town. And I don't think Robert E. Lee is from Lexington, but he ended He's up. revered there. Yeah. He ended up being president of Washington and Lee University at the time was just Washington University. And then after he died, they named it Washington and Lee University. Um, um, and so now he, and he's buried there. You know, I actually made the piece before like Trump was a thing is when I, when I made it. And so it's been interesting seeing the political atmosphere evolve, but let me, I, I realize I haven't finished even describing the piece, but anyway, so the piece is about that, that experience. And there's a lot of Confederate imagery within it. The centerpiece is a recliner that has the Confederate flag on its back and it's a recliner. So it actually can lean back and on the walls are portraits of Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, and then the act, my actual hometown. So like paintings, but they're not made of paint, you know, they're made of fabric. Mm. And there's like little details here and there, like Robert E. Lee has a dark halo over his head uh, Stonewall Jackson's head is actually not attached to his body. So it's was fashioned after his monument that's at his cemetery. And as if, you know, if someone kicked the head off, it's kind of like falling off. Mm. But they're definitely details. And then the recliner is, you know, for me, it's like a stand-in for casual racism, which I actually think is in some ways, worse. <laughs> Wait, the, the how's recliner representative of casual racism? So it's, you know, it's got the Confederate flag and it's this idea of people who are willing to just kind of sit and wait, right? Mm, just okay. waiting to like lean back and not willing to get up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It actually change the situation. Complacency. Complacency, yeah. Keeping, maintaining the status quo. Exactly. You know, in some ways I find that more insidious because, you know, there are some actions like horrible horrible events and actions that we can easily point to and be like that's racism that's evil that's bad but there are all these underlying structures too right that contribute to those schools of thought and when we don't take those things down then <laughs> you know if we say oh well that's bad but that's okay we can still leave like yeah. you know it, it's all the same beast you yeah. know what i mean they're just different parts of the same thing as yeah. far as i'm concerned like naming some like naming a road after robert e lee it's the same thing it's honoring yeah. it's honoring a person yeah which is rooted in white supremacy so it's all connected and then there's a tv there's a always a video element in my work and so there's a tv in the corner that's also made of fabric mm-hmm. and there's a three part video that I think of the video as more my personal psychological space. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of my voice within the piece. Mm. So the, the physical space is very representative of the actual location of my hometown. And then the video is, I think, I guess, analogous to, to me, you know? And so there's this kind of interaction between me out of place in this other environment. Yeah. yeah and it's, it it is i don't know it's it's a it's it's a very complex and sticky thing cuz i have so many still very i mean it's about my childhood so i have a lot of really strong feelings about it i mean i would say it's the one piece that when i was talking about things that exist outside of you if one thing still kind of feels like me it's that one because that it's the piece the video the whole thing the the whole thing okay. because it's like 
so rooted in my early memory, yeah. you know. Yeah. Do you see the videos as on equal footing as the installation of it, the objects? Is it more important, less important? How does it function for you? Um, I think that the video and the physical installation, from my perspective, are unequal fitting. Equal. Sure. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, the video was, I mean, it was made in three parts and it took like a year and a half to make, you know, so it was a lot of thought and a lot of really fine tuning, yeah. you know, to get it there. I, you know, I don't know how other people feel. Like the first thing you see is definitely the space. The space is obviously much larger, but one thing that you don't really see that's hard to capture in documentation of the piece is that there's an audio track, right? Mm. So the video is physically much smaller than everything else, but the audio track is, you don't listen to it with headphones. It's out, you know, it's mm. like kind of yeah. blaring. Yeah. And it's this somewhat abrasive, <laughs> I think, abrasive video track, soundtrack. And it's done intentionally. Mm. Like, I don't want that sound to be ignored, mm. you know? Yeah. And that's something that I also think about, too. I'm very deliberate about how I want the sound in my videos to be experienced. Yeah. And I think it changes how video is experienced, especially in a gallery space, like immensely, you know? I mean, and, and that's one of the things that I, uh, as a video artist, we're, we're tasked to figure out that, if you are a filmmaker, you don't have to deal with because it's like the structure of how people are going to consume your media is already there. Yeah. You know, it's like people sit down, there are rules, nobody talks, yeah. they wait for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sound is pretty loud, you can hear it. <laughs> but as a video artist, it's like, I feel like there's always these compromises in the gallery. Yeah. And trying to figure out what are the compromises that are necessary. Because, you know, there is the practical aspect of showing work, but then also what are the things that are really, that you can't, you can't give on and say, I really can't put this on headphones. I really can't have this next to something else. You know, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's, those are the hard, but I think important choices for video that I don't know if other people realize when they go see a, you know, video at a museum or a gallery, yeah. if they realize that we're thinking about those things. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, I mean, I was the reason I was also asking you about where you see your videos in relation to the installations is I think yours, yours are interesting in the sense that your videos are always small, like like you have all these intricate videos. But my my if like if I were to do an installation for my videos, I would make my videos large, like projector large, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like um, when I look at your work, I know it's like very well planned and thought about. So that's what I was curious about mm -hmm. those decisions because like I've only seen them on my on a, on well on your presentation, but mm -hmm. also on my computer. And like there's lots of details there. Mm -hmm. But then like especially the ones where like that are activated by holding them, mm -hmm. right? Like all those different videos, and also like, even in, at least from the installation of the reclining chair, like mm -hmm. you're far away enough from the from the television mm -hmm. that I feel like if you like part of the space in a way that doesn't privilege the video, mm, which is, which, 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 um, which is why I ask, how do yeah. you view it standing? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I see that. I can understand like that viewpoint. Absolutely. I think that for me, I'm more interested in the culture of small screen. So mm -hmm. TV and, um, how we, you know, uh, consume, uh, social media, like on our phones. And, and so for me, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about how do 
people interact with video just in a normal non-art sense, yeah. right? And so for me, I'm always thinking about televisions. I'm thinking about phone screens, yeah. tablets, those scales. And I think that's probably the reason why I work in that scale. Because for me, I like if there was a way for me to make what? money yeah, <laughs> by just... And I know that there are YouTube people who make money but like uh you know as an artist I, I think it's kind of challenging but like if there was a way to, for me to make money where people just watch videos like in their consume in their outside of the gallery like that's actually the thing I'm really interested mm. in so a lot of like the how-to video for instance like that is intended to be and live in YouTube on, yeah live on a computer live in your phone you know because that's the structure that I'm trying to reference and subvert, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. I think it actually becomes confusing when it gets pulled out of that. Like if it were to be ginormous, it might actually feel yeah. less yeah. about what it, what it's about. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's no right answer. It's yeah. not like one's better. I, I recently read, I didn't read the article, but I read the title of it and it was like, yeah, I just saw Martin Scorsese's Irishman on my phone, Yeah, you know, and it's like, <laughs> He clearly didn't want it to be, yeah. But uh, that's not how he planned. Uh, Scorsese he planned the film to be watched, but that, yeah, you know, that it's like sounds like a really tedious viewing of that movie. No, but <laughs> like, you can, and you know, but also like the other, the other thing is like I'm assuming mm -hmm. kids grow up with that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I'm sure there's a teenager in mm -hmm. his bed or her bed, mm -hmm. just watching The Irishman on a tiny little screen, and mm -hmm. that's to them that's just normal. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's interesting how generational it is. Like, I think that I'm uh, like we're probably both of the age where we're like we're in this kind of middle stage, right, of like media. And I think that the people who are younger than us, who are like kids now, will have a different experience and relationship to time-based media and video versus people who are maybe ten or fifteen years older than us have mm -hmm. different relationships, you know. Mm -hmm. And I know that for me, you know, I didn't really think about it, but like I, I feel like movies are best meant to be seen in the movie theater. <laughs> do you go to the movie theaters a lot? I do. Yeah, I by do. yourself or with with my partner. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's usually like, um, yeah, with with people. Um, I ask because I, I I like going to the theaters by myself. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I don't. It's not that I like like or dislike going to the theater by myself, but it's like usually. Nice, fun thing to do. Of course, yeah. yeah. It's a social. Yeah. Or I guess I'm trying, I'm not sure. What, I just like, I have no problem yeah. going by myself. Like, yeah. if like I'm just like impulsive, I'm like, I want to see this movie. I'll just like go on my phone. Or if I'm in the States, at least go to Fandango and just yeah. be like, what's showing? Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, there's a show nearby, an hour away. Or like, in a, like it's, it's like in an hour, I'll just like go there and. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I always like to do the whole talk about the movie afterwards yeah, for like yeah, an hour yeah, or two. Yeah. Like, deconstructed and <laughs> have you seen parasite yes I what'd, what'd you think i really liked it i yeah. really liked it i, I want to see it again it's a crazy but, movie yeah it, it was it's, it's beautifully shot wonderfully acted i love how there are blending of genres for mm. me i think that that is needs to be done more you know and not just in film but in all things and i've talked about this to many people how I personally believe that the spaces in between things, like the space where like in between comedy and theater and performance art and, 
you know, commercials or whatever. It's like, if you can find a space that's not quite one or the other, that to me is where really exciting things happen. Mm. And so when I see, when people are like, oh, Parasite, it's like kind of a comedy, kind of like a horror, kind of a thriller, kind of a, who knows what it is. Like, I like that. Like, that's what I like about it. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why I like Jordan Peele's movies, you know? It's like. We saw um, Us. Mm-hmm. Did, oh, were you, you there? did? Oh, no. A bunch but of us I saw us yeah. in, the, in the lounge. I didn't like it. Oh, you didn't? Oh, what didn't, what, I'm curious, but didn't you like about it? So I liked Get Out. Mm-hmm. I guess like, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen <laughs> us, you could turn it off. But um, I thought it was sloppy. Really? I thought as a movie, it was quite sloppy. Hmm, interesting. I didn't know what message it was trying to get at. Mm-hmm. I think I remember reading, I think I read about what Jordan Peele was trying to say mm-hmm. and I didn't get any of that coming across. Mm. And I thought like... Well, how, did you have an interpretation? I'm, I'm just curious, like, because I, I definitely had an interpretation. Well, I mean, I think it, it referenced like the underground, the immediate one was the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the underground sort of this sort of like uh, history that one has to deal with. Mm-hmm. But the, a lot of it just seemed random though. Mm. Like there were... I think I think after watching it, I think the first thing I because we were we were with like Jova and Sonia and Marcus and I think the first thing I said was like I think if this was like an art film, mm-hmm. like if I saw this in a gallery, right, where it, like you're just accepting a video artist doing like just dumb random shit, mm-hmm. I think I'd be okay with it. Mm-hmm. But I think in the context of like Jordan Peele presenting it as a movie, and then mm-hmm. also in the context of it right after Get Out, mm-hmm. it seemed sloppy. Mm. The movie seemed to sell itself as like a social commentary. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then that's where I was like, it could have been more clarified, I thought. Mm. I mean, I thought it was a social commentary. And I think that there was, you know, the trailer present, presented it as like a doubling of, of the main black characters. And so it was a surprise that everybody was doubled. But I thought of it more of like this commentary of not just about racial aspects in our society but this for oh, class me, yeah, think, yeah, yeah he, that, he wanted yeah, about class, class. Yeah, yes. that's exactly how i felt like that it was more about like that there are people that we don't see that are invisible like homeless people like yeah. we just and we don't want to accept that they exist and so we just turn away you know and that you know that that idea of like that they're that we could be so easily in their situation they could be so easily in our situation that's an arbitrary thing so often of like how we grow up or what we are given yeah like that's kind of how i viewed it um but in that sense i think parasite did a much better job talking about class oh yeah absolutely yeah no i thought parasite was pretty brilliant um and funny and funny and gory and wonderful but the best my favorite thing about it was like also i feel like a lot of the message about it was lost to a western audience but it still didn't matter yeah yeah. you know what i mean i mean and i I, yeah i see what you're saying absolutely i mean there's a lot of things that i I think that if you are non if you have well, I consider myself Western in many ways because, you know, I grew up here, but, but I see, you know, like knowing, having like knowledge of like, um, but I remember like talking to a few white people and they're just like, well, I didn't quite understand why the characters acted like that. And they're like, but it was like, it was, you know, like it was like <laughs> yeah. a complete, yeah, yeah. complete. Well, I mean, I think that that's just, you know, that happens with a lot of really great art, right. That. I mean, that's something that I ask myself too, when you're talking about like, who, who is it for? Who's watching it? Like, 
I have to realize that there are going to be people who do not get a lot of the things that I'm talking about in my videos. Like I remember you coming up to me that uh, after the present, my presentation and being like, I don't know if many people understand what like the Twinkie, Twinkie is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I know that most white people are completely lost when I talk about like, the Twinkie and they're like, oh yeah, it's like a sugary snack. And I'm like, that's completely not, not it at all. That's not it at all. You know, I did, I made some Twinkie paintings. Oh really? The ground, yeah. Oh, nice. I just painted, I just painted Twinkies. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one where I painted the underside of the Twinkie so you could see like the little white, the white dots, the white dots were, yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then I made some Twinkie sculpture paintings where like I cut a Twinkie mm-hmm put it on like some masonite and then I slathered I, like plaster all over. So like it's basically like a plaster abstract painting with like a, a horizontal cutout of a Twinkie embedded. And yeah. I still have it. It's, <laughs> a, it's, it's like molding slowly after I made it in like 2007. Oh my God. You know, uh, and, and I was sort of like, I was like, oh, well the twink, Twinkie supposedly lasts forever. forever. So, so I just like left it there and it's in my room and it's like, it's slowly turning color, but it's it had it what it did not do anything for a long, long time. That's like kind kind of encouraging <laughs> for the Twinkie that it actually is, it? is molding. But they, they discontinued it and then they brought it and back. And they brought it back. Yeah. 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 And everyone was like stocking so, up on Twinkies. They were so excited. And like, then and then for my I did I I had an opening for a show in undergrad and I found banana flavored Twinkies. Oh my god. <laughs> So did it have a yellow cream? Was it yellow inside? No, it just tasted oh. banana-ish. Oh. And I was also painting bananas at yeah. the same time. It was like, that's what I was painting. And that's, yeah, that was like my um my my painting crisis. Because I was like, that was the first time I figured out that I could maybe do something creative. Because before mm-hmm. I was just sort of rendering things really well. And mm-hmm. I always was jealous of people who like had something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, I'm just here painting models and still lives. And I finally... I was like, oh, maybe I can paint these Twinkies and paint and bananas, and they they were large, and they sort of took on this sort of sort of still life, but then they weren't still lives, and there's mm-hmm. um, that it was sort of playing around with like what is a still life and what is the symbol symbolism of these still lives, and then I was like, I don't want to be like known as a Twinkie banana painter because <laughs> so, yeah. I because I, I, I didn't know how long I could push that, yeah, yeah, and I felt like I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's never, I think it can, it's frustrating when people do like something and they're like, you're the person that does X, Y, Z or whatever it is. And like, that's what they remember you for forever, you know? And even if it's like, because they like your work or they, they expect that. And I mean, I, I have to say that like my work, I think it, it changes, you know, as far as the way it looks, the physical, the physical part, like, you know, it, I think if you step way back, you can definitely see some semblance of style emerging, you know? And I can I, see, well, you're, yeah. the way you're editing and yeah. your use of green screen yeah. is totally you. Right, right, yeah. But I think that, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, this is so different. You know, like the installation oh, part, yeah. 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 It's like, oh, that looks so different. I'm like, oh, because I'm done with that other thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not making that anymore. Yeah. I'm doing this other thing yeah. that I'm more excited about, but... You know, at the same time, we make these things. They're part of our history, our personal history. And, um, well, until you, until you like delete them from the internet. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking the other day about how much 
when I was painting, specifically the paintings that I did in early grad school, I have no idea where they are. Really? Like I have literally no idea. Like I, you've thrown them away no, or you gave I them to people? I gave them to people or I maybe like left them some in my, I, I don't know where any of them are. Hmm. Like, I don't know where, I'll, I mean, I could probably like send out like a blast email to like a bunch of people and figure it out, but I'm not really sure where a lot of my early paintings are. Yeah. There's somewhere out there. People have like Valerie Osterberg paintings. Yeah. So some people um, have my paintings. Yeah. yeah. When I was in Korea, I did one last push for painting and I was like painting, painting kimchi, mm-hmm. like really large. And I didn't have any, I was like not going to ship them home. <laughs> so yeah. Kimchi. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so then when, after grad school, did you immediately, did you do anything before you went to New Mexico or? Um, I moved to New Mexico the week I graduated. Oh, yeah. You got that, you immediately got a teaching gig. Oh, no, 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 oh. no. Just left. Just oh, left. Okay. <laughs> I just started teaching. I just started teaching uh, last semester. So only one semester. And what did you do before? Just, well, for the first year, I was really focused on just making a studio practice. You know, I felt that staying in New York because of the you know, the unfortunate financial reality of living in a very expensive city that I would, I was really afraid I would fall back on doing freelance work. Yeah. 30, 40 hours a day. And I would be too burned out to do Mm -hmm. artwork. And so I was like, I don't want to fall into that trap. And so that's why I left. And I still do, you know, commercial work every now and then, but I don't have to do nearly as much. Certainly not not 30 or 40 hours a day. Especially not with your teaching gig too. Oh, that's, I love, I love my teaching gig, but I'm an adjunct. I do not get paid very much, but don't tell my mom. She'll be so upset. (laughs) Will she listen to this? No, she won't. Maybe she will. Maybe she will. Is she worried about you? Oh, she worries all the time. I mean, I am so envious of people who have moms that don't worry. Do you think she'll worry though? I think you just need a tenure track. Yeah. Because yeah. my, my mom and dad, I think they're really proud of me because I'm a professor. Mm-hmm, quote, mm-hmm. Air quotes. Professor. Professor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, are you tenure track? No. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I, mine's a two-year gig. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, they're like, I think, they're, I mean, they were like, I think for a long time, they were like, as long as you get good grades, it's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, but now there's nothing to grade you yeah. after college. So now okay. we're just worried. Mm-hmm. but you seem to be doing okay. You mm-hmm. haven't asked us for money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I always tell her. I'm so. like, I've, I've not asked you for money like ever since I left the house. I'm all right, I'm all right. And I mean, even when I was working in video and I, I was making the most money I've ever, it was when I was doing that and she just did not understand. She was what? like, I don't understand how you make money. Like when I was working in video production, oh, she was like, I don't understand it. How are you making money? She like didn't believe I was making money. Really? At all. I mean, my mom, she's um, like very stereotypically like (laughs) Korean, like money focused. She's like, when I mention that I've given artwork to friends, she gets really upset. She's like, they should pay for it. (laughs) They should pay for it. Like she always wants people to like pay me for my art. And I want that too. Hey, I want that too. But yeah, (laughs) we'll get there. We'll get there. It's like right now I just want to be able to structure my life so that I can, I can make it like, that's the most important thing. What does making it for you mean? My baseline goal in life, at least right now, which probably 
you know, baseline, baseline, yeah, not yeah. the highest ideals. Yeah, yeah. The baseline goal is to be able to have time to have a studio and to have time, afford time in the day to work in it, to create work, mm. you know, like that to yeah. me is like the bare necessity yeah. for me in life, at least to be happy. Mm. <clears throat> and that's something that I, I know about myself, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I think that I could probably survive without that for maybe a year or two. But I think that after that, I'd probably hit a wall and become very, very sad mm-hmm. until I got the opportunity to make work again. Yeah. And I think that's also part of being an artist. It's like you realize that you have to make art, right? Like you can't I'm not afraid make art. Of, I'm afraid of that for me. <laughs> what do you mean? Like in what way? I wonder if I need to do art sometimes. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. Well, there's so many other things that are much easier to do. <laughs> no, I art. enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Right. But like, yeah. I think like, you know, I was in Korea and I didn't, I didn't need it. And I went mm-hmm. to LA. I didn't need it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I did. I don't know. It's hard to tell what you need and don't need. Right. Like, but like I did, mm-hmm. I was like fine. I was fine. Mm-hmm. Capital, capital fine with like exclamation, mm-hmm. just doing web development, getting mm-hmm. paid a decent wage and like spending money eating eating out and exploring different parts of LA and I went back to art because I was like I could see my after after a year I could kind of see my life flash forward and and like I was like oh I could keep doing web development and I was like this would be the time to see if I could get back into art yeah you know Mm -hmm. but like I've been lucky and I part of my push for like constantly applying for the, for things, constantly doing these residencies, constantly like applying for these teaching gigs is like, I am afraid if I don't keep that momentum, mm-hmm. I won't, you know? And I see like, I mean, you probably do too, like real life hits and you see professors or mm-hmm. different types of people, or I'm sure even your classmates who have stopped making art because yeah. it's it hard happens. to, it happens, yeah. it's hard to sustain. And I'm afraid of like, Losing that momentum. Yeah. Well, it's a legitimate fear. I think that you do need momentum. Yeah. Because because I think that there's easier ways to exist. Yeah. I mean, when I was working commercially, it was. Um, I mean, life was was not bad either. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I just did get to a point where I thought, oh, this isn't satisfying. Not yeah. in the way that I want, and I got yeah. tired. Yeah. But you know, it took me eight years to come to that realization and then it took me two more years to make the change you know yeah so I totally totally understand like yeah you can definitely be happy and exist and you know there are other things to do in life for sure (laughs) and that I enjoy it's not like I'm only happy in the studio (laughs) I just want that to be a part of my life and I do think though that I know that if I'm away from it for long enough that I will I need it again you know Mm -hmm. Like, I'd love to go on like a year long vacation. Like, I'll, I'll be okay. I don't need my studio. <laughs> I'll just go travel for a year. Like, if I ever won the lottery, yeah, I'd do that. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm not going to be making art. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, probably shooting like video, like tourist videos for yeah, the next yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. But I would be happy. And then I'd probably like go back to making art when I got back. Yeah. You know? So. Are you planning to stay in New Mexico for a while? Is that, is that? Yeah, I think so. I really love it there. It's a place where I have found a nice balance, work-life balance. I also really just love where I live in general. I think that from a purely visual standpoint, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's, I mean, I think that I live in Albuquerque. Some people give Albuquerque a bad rap. I don't know why. 
I mean, I just know it from Breaking Bad. All, <laughs> not from Breaking Bad. That's the only thing I know about it. <laughs> um, it's it's a really cool city, and it's got you know a beautiful uh, mountain next to it. The Rio Grande runs right through it. You know, you can drive, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour in any direction. Just pick a direction. You'll get somewhere that looks different and is beautiful, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I also think it has a really interesting, you know, demographic of people. You know, yeah. like, I'll be honest, a lot of my artwork is about engaging with other people and society and how, where, where do I stand in society and what is society and all these other things. And I spent so much of my time on the East Coast. You know, I grew up in Virginia, went to school in New England, stayed in New York. And the history that I learned, not just as a child, but also as an adult being on the East Coast, it's different than the Southwest. And I think it's exciting to be around people who have a different story to tell you, you know, like I feel like I'm learning and, you know, and I, and I like that, you know like not knowing about things and learning about a different part of the world. I mean, the world is in some ways can feel very small, but the world is also like so vast and unexplored and, you know, communities right next to each other can be completely different. And so I just, I don't know. I like that. I really like that part of where I live, you know, anything that I missed you want to talk about? Uh, I don't know. Um, Um, where can people uh, find you online? I have a website and it is my name, which is ValerieEstebrook.com. So um, I'll give you the spelling. You can look it up. It's uh, so, yeah, that's there. And then um, I also have Instagram, uh, which is just more like daily life stuff. But people are always welcome to follow me. Yeah. It's just my same thing. It's just at Valerie Estebrook. I don't post any real art stuff on my Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's, I'll go through waves, you know, like if I'm really intensely working on something, I'll be posting a lot of art or if I'm at like shows or installing, yeah, be posting, but it's like more that I just post my daily life. Yeah. So you can kind of like see what I'm doing or what I'm not doing. Yeah. (laughs) So right now there's like a lot of pictures of snow. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Thanks so much, Valerie. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, sitting down and inviting me to talk. I had a really great time talking. Yeah. Thank you. Me too. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziwon Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle seeingcolorpod. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, Thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.